0: Health services for all women of all ages at all stages since 1984. Insurance, main care, deargo, and self pay accepted. MabelWadsworth.org. Information presented on health related programs on WERU is not meant to be taken as medical advice. Please talk with your health care provider if you have any questions or concerns.
1: Support
2: for WERU comes from our listeners, individual and family members, business members, and program underwriters. Thank you for your support. Info online at
3: WERU.org.
4: It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Andre Bella is up next. A radio uh, program about integrative health therapies. I'm Andre Bella, and today we'll be speaking with Patrick Heinz from LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, about ending the war on drugs. I want to remind all our listeners that this is a live call-in show, and so we're hoping that you will call with your comments and questions and your support. This is Community Radio, and we appreciate very much your participation. We'll be opening the lines at the half hour for your calls, and the number for that call-in is 866-625-9378. Patrick Heinz is a retired counselor and corrections officer. With experience in both corrections and substance abuse counseling, Patrick Heinz has worked with incarcerated populations for over 20 years. As a substance abuse counselor licensed by the state of Massachusetts, working in a variety of correction settings, he was witness to what he calls the revolving door and intergenerational nature of the offender population. Patrick explains, early on, On the prevailing laws associated with the war on drugs, it became a daily frustration that no matter how service-oriented or well-intentioned treatment attempts were in a correction setting, nonsensical drug laws such as mandatory minimum sentencing, school zone violations, and other punitive consequences of drug arrests kept us from being optimally effective. As a human service worker in corrections, it was obvious to Patrick that substance abusing and addictive personality disorders were more mental health issues than a law and order problem. He experienced an avalanche of realizations upon first hearing of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against against Prohibition, in a presentation where the speaker pointed out that after 40 years of being at war with drugs, the percentage of the population abusing drugs remains at approximately the same level as in 1971 when the war on drugs began. Patrick contends that sociologically... There'll always be deviations from the norm, including substance abuse, but we cannot they cannot be legislated or enforced away. Patrick joined LEAP in 2011. He's also an avid golfer, and we welcome you to the show, Patrick. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, let's maybe get started for our listeners. Can you tell us what LEAP is and what the mission statement of LEAP is and perhaps why you joined up with LEAP?
2: Uh, Well, LEAP is an international organization. Uh, It has about uh, 100,000 members and supporters uh, worldwide, and it's uh, primarily made up of former uh, law and officer personnel, people who have been on the front lines uh, dealing with the war on drugs and its consequences. And it was started by their four founding members, police chiefs and uh, uh, undercover detectives uh, to try and begin a discussion uh, to end the disastrous drug policy that's been uh, dubbed the war on drugs. And uh, that's who we are. We have judges, uh, prosecutors, uh, every stripe of law enforcement personnel you can think of as members.
4: Mm. We, um, over the years, over the past a uh, few years, we have also interviewed two other people from Leap. Uh, we interviewed Peter Christ, one of the co-founders, and Correct. he presents that uh, law enforcement view because he was a, a policeman for a long time till he retired. And two years ago, uh, from the legal perspective, we interviewed James Girock, mm-hmm. who was uh, chief prosecutor for the Cooks County Sheriff's Department in Chicago. And now we're happy to have you on the on the show today because you. Uh, Uh, represent that substance abuse uh, perspective which I think is so important to the entire picture
2: Uh, I I agree with you
4: Um, now I think you um, have said in your statement that really what we're talking about here is a public health issue and um, I know that you've stated that prohibition constitutes a, a threat to public safety for both the user and for the public can you explain what you mean by that
2: Uh, Yeah, it certainly is a a public safety disaster, and uh, it's uh, even worse than that. Uh, In a bigger picture, it even constitutes uh, a national security risk uh, with the cartels and the Taliban and uh, the destabilization of uh, Mexico because of their cartel wars down there. But uh, as public public safety. Issue uh, prohibition, just like uh, in uh, the 20s, the roaring 20s, in the Al Capone era, uh, the criminal gang uh, got access to so much money that they could afford to do pretty much anything they wanted, uh, including uh, bribery and uh, all kinds of things. Um, so the as a public safety issue, we have the real problem is the money. And the money, of course, leads to the violence. So the dr- substance abusing, really, which is associated with violence and so forth, is really not a fair analysis. What causes the violence is the criminal access to financing. The UN does an annual uh, World Drug Report. And their current estimate is that illegal drug trafficking worldwide provides a funding stream of $355 billion a year to criminal enterprise. Now, that's roughly the same as the Pentagon's budget was in, I think it was 2008. Now, I don't think anybody wants to fund crime at the same rate as we uh, fund the most powerful military on the planet. Uh, So that's the, uh, you know, and then the gangs fighting over uh, turf uh, and all of that. And, of course, it causes uh, kids in distressed areas. They see a drug dealer, and a drug dealer will have a good year or two before he goes to jail, and then somebody just uh, takes his place when he goes to jail. And they'll see the drug dealer with the car and the money and the girls, and uh, they're in a uh, struggling school, and uh, they probably have uh, uh, a supervising adult of theirs uh, involved in corrections. And uh, so they're often from destabilized, uh, disordered backgrounds, and they say, well, I'm going to drop out of school so I can uh, get money and I can uh, live big like I see on TV. And uh, so it causes uh, dropout rates and everything that comes uh, along with that. It's just a disaster. But when you talk to people today, almost everybody today will agree that uh, addiction is a health problem. And uh, if you talk to somebody and say, well, uh, if addiction is a health problem, can you name one more? health crisis we have in America that we're addressing with, uh, uh law enforcement, incarceration and punishment. What right. other health yeah. issue in America is addressed that way.
4: Right. We don't, we don't put people in jail because they drink alcohol and we don't put people in jail because they eat unhealthy food either or they smoke. But, we don't do it. Right. People put people in jail for that, but that would seem ridiculous. It certainly would seem ridiculous. And now you bring up uh, smoking,
2: and here's a wonderful example of an alternative to prohibition. Everybody knows how dangerous smoking is and how many people it kills a year and how addictive it is. Some people say it's more addictive than heroin. And so in the uh, 60s, the Surgeon General came out and made the public announcement that Tobacco was bad for you. It's unhealthy. Uh, And it's addictive. Um, But it was regulated. You know, you had to be 18 years old to buy it, and uh, there were standards of manufacturing and so forth. So what they did to address this health problem is they came up with a public health model of intervention, and uh, the way it went is... Basically, after World War II, you know, you see the old World War II movies and so forth, and absolutely everybody in the movies is smoking. You see people smoking in movie theaters. It's amazing. And uh, smoking at the time was advertised as uh, a health benefit. It calms you down. Uh, There was even uh, an advertisement of an Olympic athlete in his Olympic uniform having a a lucky strike saying, after he competes, uh, the lucky strike helps him to relax. And that's how the public viewed alcohol. And it was misinformation. So after the Surgeon General's report, uh, they started an education program.
4: We're having some problems with the phone line. Um, And we'll see if we can get Patrick back on the line again. Um, But some of the things we want to address during this show is um, I think there are a lot of parents out there that are a little bit afraid of addressing the issue of uh, if we decriminalize these drugs, if we made them legal and regulated um, what would happen? And a few years ago, when I first was introduced to LEAP, I started reading things on their website, which is leap.org. L-E-A-P um, my first thought was well, you know, every 10 uh, year old kid is going to be taking heroin on the street if we legalized uh, these drugs. But I've, I've been listening to the LEAP web people, I've been on the website. It's, a, it's an excellent really excellent website with lots of video clips and interviews and references to other websites and i think the thing that impresses me about leap is that these are retired law enforcement people um i when i interviewed peter christ he said to me it's okay for people to tell me that they don't agree with me but they can't tell me that i don't know what i'm talking about because i've spent 25 years (laughs) in the trenches as patrick has also and i think we finally have him back on the line patrick are you there I am, Andrew. What happened? Okay. I don't know. (laughs) But we're continuing on anyway. Where did we break off? Well, um, I think we were talking about the idea that this is really a public public health issue. It is not a criminal issue. And just like alcohol and cigarettes and all those things, we've come a long way. I mean, I know when I was a teenager, uh, every movie star you saw had a cigarette in his or her hand. And we've come a long way. So pick up um, on possibly how we could use that kind of model for the drug situation we have now.
2: Well, uh, drug addiction is, and the process of drug addiction is universally the same. It's just like the progression of any other uh, disease. Uh, It's chronic, it's progressive. If it's not interrupted, it gets worse uh, up to and including death. Now, when people become addicted to drugs, What people need to understand is drug addicts aren't out there just trying to have fun. Once a person is drug addicted, their life is misery. In the beginning, people use drugs recreationally, and they use them because they want to feel good. But once their body develops a physical dependence on them, if the drugs are withdrawn, they get physically sick. So drug addicts are miserable, and all they're doing is going from, I want to stop feeling horrible, to, I want to stop feeling horrible and then they use their drugs and then the the, the uh, physical discomfort of addiction goes away for a while and then when the drugs wear off they start feeling horrible again.
4: Now I, I want to clarify something here. Are some people more uh, subject to addiction or addictive behavior than others? Is that a factor in this?
2: Well This is a discussion that's been going on for a long time, and the consensus at this point appears to be that addiction is uh, a collection of causation. Uh, The uh, American Medical Association uh, uh, and Psychiatry uh, uh, estimate that 15% of the population will suffer from addictive personality disorder. That's a big number. That is a big number, yeah. Now, 10% of that 15%, so we've got 10% uh, or 15% of the population. Uh, uh, so of these 15 people, 10 of them will choose alcohol to exercise this addictive personality impulse.
4: And uh, is that mostly because it's legal or is there another reason for that? Well, there's, uh,
2: there's, the other reason is because it's so uh, uh, historically part of our culture you know alcohol right. has been used in our culture in western civilization for over 5000 years it's part of our celebrations it's part of our uh, rituals it's used in uh, mass it's uh, uh, used to to toast weddings and events and so forth and it's just been around and part of our culture for so long but remember 9 out of people 9 out of 10 people who use alcohol never have a problem with it
1: hmm. right
2: right so about 10% of the people who will, will uh, use alcohol will uh, wind up having a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But 15 out of 100 people suffer from Addictive Personality Disorder and 10 of those people will become addicted to alcohol and some people will become addicted to exercise or pornography or uh, sex uh, and 1.3% of those people, one, uh, one and one-third of those 15 people, will become addicted to narcotics. Now there's been a lot of study of why uh, people become addicted. Uh, Some people have a predisposition to addictive personality disorder. There's factors such as family history, uh, environment, um, and uh, opportunity that affect that. Um, Also, you know, uh, so part of it's biological. I have a predisposition. I'm more susceptible because when people expose themselves to substances, say alcohol, uh, everybody has a response to it. Some people are going to uh, develop dependency uh, or, uh, quicker than others uh, because of how quick they build up tolerance so the quicker you build up tolerance the, that means the more alcohol you're going to need to get to where you used to get and then the more alcohol you use the more dependent you become on it and so forth so 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 part of it is biological and then there's environmental if you come from a uh, you know a disordered uh, distressed disadvantaged environment uh, it's it's a, it's around you more dysfunctional self destructive behavior is modeled for you Uh, more often and that increases your uh, vulnerability to it and so forth so it's both environmental and biological Mm -hmm. why people become addicted Uh, you know just like any other health issue uh, there's multiple factors
4: well when when we look at this um, problem and see what could be done to make it better than where we are at now. I mean, I remember one thing when I interviewed Peter Christ. He said that he would often go to a middle school and say to kids, if we hypothetically agreed that 24 hours from now we would meet back here and your assignment was to either get a six pack of beer or an ounce of pot, which would be easier for you to get. And pretty much the consensus was the pot was much easier to get because they couldn't buy beer because you'd have to have an ID. Um, so how, what can we do? What, what does it mean if we legalize these drugs? And how, how would you be proposing that they would be regulated?
2: Well, that is exactly the problem with the war on drugs. First of all, it hasn't reduced availability at all. In fact, uh, the government's own studies indicate that availability has never been higher and also the quality of the drugs available have never been better. So the drugs are of better quality and they're more available and as you know when drugs become, when anything in a a free market becomes available, more available, uh, you have competition and it becomes
4: uh, cheaper. So business is booming.
2: Right, right. so drugs have never Mm -hmm. been more available uh, and so the war on drugs has failed on that account. In fact, the DEA's own data shows that they, they're they able uh, to intercept, or interdiction it's called, they're able to intercept uh, uh, about 5% of the drugs coming into the United States. And the rosy estimate is that they're able to uh, intercept the coming into the United States. Now, if I'm running a business, if I were running Budweiser, and 5% of my beer bottles broke, I would just call that spillage. And then you just factor that into the business model and you keep on going, and you know, 95% of your product gets to market and you're doing fine. So. Uh,
4: you consider an expense and you put well, that into your cost column.
2: Cost of doing business, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's certainly not an impediment
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to the business. The other problem with. The war on drugs is these drugs that do come into the country um, and that are made available to anybody who's got money underneath the school bleachers or in the night. Um, They're not regulated at all, so nobody knows what they're getting. Now, with alcohol, you know, if you buy a bottle of scotch, it's going to be 80 proof, which means it's 40% alcohol. During Prohibition, you'd have moonshiners and so forth, and Sometimes they'd make a batch that was so strong it was like uh, you know uh, ninety percent alcohol, and people would drink it and they'd go blind. It was called alcohol blindness because there was no regulation of it, so there were no standards.
4: So these street drugs could be very dangerous because there's no there's no quality control or anything. Right
2: now we do have we don't so we don't have a regulatory uh, mechanism as regards this market that's always been with us. Uh, this uh, 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 drug market, uh, you know, recreational drug market, uh, has always been with us. Uh, I expect it will always will be with us, but we have abdicated our responsibility as a society to regulate it, so we're putting people in danger. What I like to point out to people is, you know, because LEAP wants to regulate and tax uh, and regulate this market, just like we do with alcohol and tobacco. And that way, you know, if somebody wanted to buy heroin, they, they're going to find heroin. But uh, if it were regulated, they'd go into a state store or a state clinic or whatever model of distribution the state decided on, and they would get it, but they'd have to be of legal age, and it would be a healthy environment, and the quality of it would be the same. In fact, Switzerland has adopted a uh, public health model uh of heroin, uh, addiction management. And they have, uh, government funded injection sites where a registered heroin addict can go into, you know, a medically clean and supervised environment. And there's a doctor on the site and substance abuse counselors and social workers. And, uh, they're determined to remain a heroin addict. Uh, They can inject, they get drugs from the government, and they're provided on a sliding scale. And if you're uh, destitute, you know, you don't have to go rob somebody to get the drugs. Uh, It's uh, uh, provided. And uh, in Switzerland, since they started this program, they haven't had one overdose death in the program uh, since it began. Now... In America, on the streets and in the alleys, we're having uh, overdoses all the time because the drugs are getting stronger and nobody knows what they're uh, using. And so it's, it's a life-threatening crapshoot out
4: now, there. Now, when we talk about this whole drug picture, including um, the number of people that we're incarcerating, uh, do you have any idea about what percentage of that involves uh, marijuana?
2: Um. I think about, uh, you know, a lot of the substance abusers are what we call poly substance abusers, and they use a lot of different things. But it's just about personal use, and I think it's probably about a third of the uh, one out of three people incarcerated is for simple possession uh, to drugs, uh, for drugs.
4: Uh, I, I guess what I'm asking is how. Um, it, it, I know that we're putting people in prison for uh, for selling pot. And I'm wondering, and that seems to be, the use of pot seems to be pretty pervasive. I ne- I think that it, we've seen that here in Maine. Um, there are certainly a lot of people that would like to see marijuana legalized. And we know that in Colorado and Washington State, they've already done this. How, 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 um, big of an issue is marijuana in this and if we took the marijuana out of the picture you know what would what would we have left
2: oh uh well uh the available data on heroin and cocaine for instance uh it's estimated the high estimates are that there are about one million heroin addicts in the united states and a million and a half uh, cocaine addicts in the United States, so that's uh less than one percent uh of the population of the United States is using hard drugs so I would you know i i i I am remembering a statistic that something like forty uh, percent of everybody in prison is there uh, for simple possession and 80% of those are there for marijuana. Now, the thing about marijuana is uh, it's something like uh, 54% of people surveyed said they have used an illegal substance and half uh, the people in America think uh, marijuana should be legalized, but my view is that the law of the land should be a reflection of the political landscape. So if half the people in America think marijuana should be legalized or, or at least decriminalized, um, what kind of a civilization designates 50% of its people criminals? You know, if 54% of Americans have used an illegal drug, what kind of a civilization says half of, uh, half of our civilization is criminal?
4: And and uh, and what what is the cost to the public on this kind of incarceration?
2: The incarceration in America is uh, the situation is absolutely horrifying. Uh, when you start, you know, you can go to the Sentencing Project and all these websites about incarceration and so forth, but uh, America uh, constitutes one fifth of the world's population. Our jails house 25% of the incarcerated people on the planet. Now, that's a statistic that should make people fall down on the ground. It's so horrifying. Um, That means one out of every human being on this planet.
4: Whoops. Did we lose you? Lose you again. Um, I want to remind our listeners that this is Healthy Options. Um, This is WERU, Community Radio 89.9 on your dial. This is a live call-in show. And we are, as soon as we get Patrick back on the line, we are going to be hoping that you will call with your comments and suggestions. That call-in number is 866-625-9378. And this is community radio. This is a very controversial topic. And um, even if you agree with everything Patrick has to say, please call us and express your support or your opinions. And if you question uh, what he has to say, we really welcome all of your comments. Um, So please do call us. It's the beginning of the half hour. And please, if you're going to call, try to call relatively soon because sometimes we get backed up with too many phone calls close to the end hour and then we can't we can't uh listen to people so i think that we have patrick back on the line patrick are you there i am and we have a caller so uh we'll get that caller right um on the line as soon as amy can put that caller through are you there caller no not quite okay yes caller you on the line
2: hi this is jean gale from belfast and i just want to make one rhetorical uh, comment Can you imagine if we uh, spent all the
3: money that we've spent on uh, incarcerating people with drug offenses, just the the, uh, nonviolent ones, and the
2: uh, amount of uh, wealth that we have spent on housing them? If we had spent all that on putting uh, people who are mentally ill and should have been taken care of, can you imagine how much better off we'd be?
4: That's all. You thank, know, thank you very much for, for your comment. We really appreciate that.
2: You know, uh, I don't have to imagine it. There is a lot of data out there. Uh, for instance, just in the United States alone, the war on drugs has been going on for 40 years. Uh, the United States has spent $1 trillion on the war on drugs in those 40 years, and we've incarcerated over 40 million people. Every time you incarcerate someone, that impacts their family, and it impacts their ability to make a living once they get out and so forth. Um, In LEAP we have an expression, you may get over the addiction, but you'll never get over uh, the conviction. Now, there are programs in the United States. Uh, There's a program in Brooklyn, for instance, and they have estimated that the average sentence for a drug offense is 20 months. They started a program, and uh, they determined that it cost about $64,000 to incarcerate a person for 20 months. They started a long-term alternative-to-prison program where people are sentenced to a community treatment facility, all kinds of uh, resources available to the uh, people, and it's mandatory, and if they fail in the program, their return to higher security and so forth. And uh for the twenty months of uh intensive treatment, uh, it cost half the sixty four thousand dollars. But the other thing they found out about the study is that when someone for every dollar they spend in prison, it returns to society about twenty six cents in value. In when they put someone through a 20-month treatment program, they have a lower recidivism rate. The people come out. Uh, they've got their GED. Their literacy rate is raised. Uh, they're ready to go to work. They get jobs. They pay taxes. And they found that for every dollar spent on treatment, it returns to society $8.87. All right? So for every dollar... If you, and so if you do that's math, a pretty
4: good deal. That's a pretty good <laughs> that's deal. That's a fantastic if, deal. If,
2: and if you, if you want to do the, the long yeah. math, yeah. Uh, the $36,000 that you spend on treatment and job readiness and literacy on this person, uh, you multiply 36000 times $8.87, and it's over a quarter of a million dollars that this $36,000 uh, returns to society. Now, when you put nonviolent drug offenders into a correctional environment with all kinds of antisocial, violent people and so forth, it's a terribly, terribly damaging uh, experience for most people. And uh, people come out of jail, and they're angry, and they adopt uh, social norms and mores of the environment that they're in, because we're a social species, and that's what we, they do. And so what they do is they learn how to be antisocial and criminal. So it's just treating a health issue, attacking a health issue.
4: Mm-hmm. On, a, on
2: Punishment, a sort of... and incarceration is just bizarrely mm-hmm. insane
4: on a, a local level i know that recently i have i have a small farm here in maine and i was talking to my hay man, just you know an average kind of guy and we were talking about uh the war on drugs and so on and he was saying that um we've we've taken away a whole generation of young people especially when they've been incarcerated for uh you know let's say marijuana use they've been the low-hanging fruit and they're the ones who have sort of paid the price and i from a a point of view of a substance abuse counselor um how does this affect families
2: well the the social consequences of the war on drugs are are so horrible they, they practically defy description um when you arrest someone on a drug charge, even if they don't go to jail, let's say that it's a simple possession and they're put on probation, the first thing most states do is take a person's license uh, away from them. And so now you've got a person who can't get to work. If you live in an inner city and there's uh, public transportation, I suppose you could could manage. but uh, uh, So it starts there, but if When people go to jail, it disrupts a family. So let's say I'm uh, uh, in a relationship and I have a couple kids and I get arrested and I go to jail. And now my partner, my uh, spouse, loses access to my uh, participation in the family. They very often go on welfare. Social services gets involved. Sometimes families are broken up. And, of course, this creates a horribly disordered environment for children to grow up in and children who grow up in disordered environments it's well known they begin living disordered lives mm-hmm. I, um, uh, yeah. oh we didn't get so i thought i was cut off again
4: no no yeah. um yeah so i i think on this issue many times we've talked about it and people the average person sees the issue and they realize there's a problem what do we all do as individuals to change this if we think that that's the thing to do
2: well there's two ways to go you know, some, some people want, want to take the half, half step and uh decriminalize substance abusing and treat it like a health issue that it is so they that we could stop arresting people for simple possession
4: Oh, yeah, and explain the difference between decriminalization and legalized regulation, too.
2: Well, if you decriminalize, say, if you decriminalize possession, then if I'm arrested and I have drugs on, my, uh, on me for personal use, I don't get arrested and I don't go to jail. I might have to pay a fine. Uh, so, right off the bat, we've uh, decreased uh, the incarceration population by, you know, 25, 30 percent right there which is a huge financial savings for one thing the problem with that is we leave the criminal enterprise piece of the puzzle in place so if i'm addicted to drugs or a substance abuser i still have to go to the gangs uh, and the criminals to get my so drug. If, you, if
4: you possess the drug you have to have bought it from someone
2: correct and that means I am giving my money to criminal enterprise. Now, I try to tell people we want taxation and regulation.
4: We've got, Patrick, we do have a caller on the line. So let's just hold that thought right there. Let's take okay. the caller and then we'll come back to it. Caller, are you there? Hello, yes. Thank you for calling.
3: Well, thank you for taking my call. You know, my question is not not so much the incarceration, but uh, uh, how much... Federal and state pushback. Are we going to get from uh, local law enforcement uh, forces? Because there's thousands and thousands of DEA agents out there, uh, both state and federal. That if we legalize this, they're going to be out of a job, and they know it. So, I just thought I'd throw that out there and see what happens.
2: Uh, that's always a concern. Uh, people are going to lose their jobs. Uh, in a corrections background, people were uh, saying, well, then uh, all the uh, corrections officers are going to lose their jobs. That, uh, I don't believe, is. Um, the only time there's ever layoffs in law enforcement is when there's funding issues. Now, if you're saving all this money uh, by not having to warehouse prisoners and so forth, and provide social services for the prisoners' families and uh, all of that, uh, you're not going to have a budget issue. In fact, you're going to have more money. And all it would do would be to make people safer, because in corrections, for instance, uh, in a modular jail, you have a pod and it has a central control desk and then cells around it. And it used to be that there were one or two officers supervising uh, 35 prisoners. And then with the drug war, uh, and we started incarcerating people five times faster than any place on the planet. And when I left corrections, there were they were double bunking the uh, inmates, and at the county level, half of them were uh, substance abuse charges. And you had one or two officers supervising a hundred to a hundred and five inmates. That's terribly unsafe for the inmates, and it's terribly unsafe for the officers. So if we can. Get the prison population down. It's going to make people safer. Also, law enforcement—they're not going to lose their jobs. They're just going to have uh, get the time back, fight real crime instead of consensual crime. Consensual crime is—you know—I want something. I want to sell something. You want to buy something. Uh, and uh, you know, if I'm not hitting anybody over the head, uh, it really doesn't uh, isn't anybody's business. But If I'm beating somebody up, then the police should get involved. The police are very good at protecting people from one another. They're absolutely horrible at protecting people from themselves. That's not their job. That's a doctor's, that's a psychiatrist's or a social worker's job, but not the police's job. So, in fact, when you look at the the closure rates for crime in America since the war on drugs started... Uh, it's like uh, the closure rate for murders has gone down 30%. The closure rate for uh, violent crimes has gone down 30%. It's gone down like 60% for uh, robberies uh, and burglaries uh, because police are spending so much time surveilling and arresting and processing the paperwork of people for possession that they don't have time to keep our streets so uh, they're, I, I don't think uh, that, uh, and of course the prison industry is going to fight it Because they want to keep building prisons and it's quite a growth industry uh, But in the DEA, um, they're going to be, they can be reassigned to other uh, uh, areas easily And it's not going to cost us a dime more In fact, we're going to have extra resources to fund these activities.
3: Pardon me?
4: Caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Oh,
3: okay. Uh, Uh, No, listen. No, no. one other thing I had to say was that these poor kids, that get caught with what they call a usable amount of marijuana. Of course, they've also got probably a pipe or something there, too. You know, they get hit twice. So the state gets 700 bucks for everyone. And all you got to do is look in the paper and look in the court news. And there's row after row after row of usable amount of marijuana, usable amount of marijuana. Uh, so the state's going to lose a lot of money, you know, if this is deregulated. And I can't see Governor LePage going for that at all. Well,
1: you know,
2: you say the state's going to lose a lot of money. Like, where does this money come from? It's like, it costs the state $1,800 to arrest someone for marijuana, do the paperwork, get them to their pretrial hearing, and set a trial date. Where then, you know, a couple weeks later, they'll go back and often a a plea will be, uh, they'll avoid a trial and so forth. So... Just for that little bit, it costs the state $1,800. The the state has to take what money it has available and spend it on that. If the governors of the states could take that $1,800 and buy new school books with it, I think they'd be more popular than putting people's kids in jail.
3: Oh, I agree fully.
2: So, so, um, you know, the war on drugs, does not generate a profit for anybody but criminals Here's what I like to tell people uh, when i when we talk about regulation and taxation. We in America we already do have a department of regulation and taxation
4: whoops we we lost Patrick there again for some reason. Um, I, I, one thing I wanted to mention until we get him back on the line and, and caller, I want, I want to thank you very much. I don't know if you're still there, but I want to thank you very much for calling in with that very important issue. In 2011, June of 2011, um, an international drug policy report uh, was published. And if you go online and take a look at that, um, it's about maybe 10 or 12 very readable pages with lots of references. It's an evidence-based report that's done um, internationally. It's got every big name on it that you'd ever want to see to verify its validity. And I think if you if you read that, a lot of these, these very issues will be covered. Um, do we have Patrick on the line or do we have another caller? Okay, we're going to get him back on the line in just a minute. Uh, oh, we do have a caller. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know where I don't know where I was cut off when the line. Went oh, ahead. Patrick, you're back, and we do have yes. another caller. So uh, we'll get that other call on the line um, as soon as we can. Um, yeah, I think the issue of money and what, where I'd like to go in the in the few minutes that we have left. Oh, we do have a caller. Go ahead, caller. You there? Hello?
0: Hello. Oh, I didn't know if I could get in. Uh, Lou McGregor calling from Hope. Hi, Hello, Andre.
4: Lou? Hello.
0: Am I uh, I on on. the air? Yes,
4: you are.
0: Okay. Uh, I just wanted to make a couple of comments, I guess. For one thing, I see the whole war on drugs issue as uh, similar to other controversial issues like, well, abortion would be a good example, the kind of thing where in a perfect world, we would not have these problems. But since we don't live in a perfect world, it's so critical that we cut to the chase. And when I hear these facts and figures about what kind of uh, financial sense it makes, for instance, and money really talks in this world, uh, it feels like as a culture we are called to step to the plate in these very trying times that we live in and, uh, and be brave around the idea of, okay, drugs may be more available now. You know, we're worried about our children or whatever it might be. Give it a try. Uh, really push for this. I appreciate uh, that push. Um, really, I guess that's about my only comment, and I would just applaud that you're all uh, working on this and, bringing it up. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you Lou. Thanks very much for your call. I I guess that in I just want to remind our listeners we're talking with Patrick Heinz from Leap Law Enforcement Against Prohibition and we're talking about uh ending the war on drugs. Um this is live call-in show. We have a few minutes left if you'd like to call. And what I'd like to do for uh the last few minutes of the show, Patrick is have you talk about what can we do what can people do as individuals to to end this war on drugs, if that's what people want to do? So many people understand the situation. You know, blue and different people are calling. They understand the situation. But what do we do to make changes happen?
2: Okay, uh, uh, I will get right to that. But uh, last time the line went dead, I just wanted to uh, bring to people's attention. A lot of people are concerned, so we can't regulate and tax drugs and like alcohol and tobacco um, I'd like to point out that we already do have a Department of Taxation and Regulation for illegal drugs uh, they have uh, 654,000 members in 2800 regional offices and they're called the Crips and the Bloods and the Latin Kings and the Gangster Disciples and all the criminal gangs we have ceded our responsibility to manage this market to criminal enterprise Their markup on the drugs, by the way, is 60%. So when a heroin addict has to spend $100 a day to stop from feeling sick, we could provide that to the heroin addict for $1.60. So he could collect cans. He wouldn't have to do robberies or shoplifting and this, that, and the other thing. It's a
4: pretty big markup, yeah.
2: Yeah, so (laughs) that would uh, help public safety. What people can do is say, you know, we have tried this and it has failed, and you have to contact your uh, local uh, legislators, and you have to make it safe for them to be brave, as the last caller said, Uh, because the right thing to do is stop destroying lives, stop being the incarceration uh, um, center of the universe uh, in the land of the free, and start spending more wisely. We spend $70 billion a year fighting the war on drugs. And uh, there was a study, an economics professor at Harvard did a study, and he estimated that legalization and regulation of all drugs would generate uh, $88 billion a year in revenue that we could spend on uh, housing, treatment, health care, education. Uh, All these wonderful things. And what we're doing with that money now is we are just warehousing bodies in predatory environments in general. Uh, People aren't coming out better. Mm -hmm. We've just tried the failed approach. Uh, So we can try something else. And if we don't, we can always go back to the failed approach.
4: I think we have one more caller on the line. Do we have time for that call? Caller, would you like to go ahead? Good morning.
1: This is Yo in Tremont. Hello, Yo. I just wanted to add that like so many government policies that are hard to understand when observed in terms of their stated goals, the drug war doesn't really have anything to do with drugs. It doesn't really have anything to do with health. The intent of the drug war is to criminalize a large swath of the country's liberal and libertarian population to provide a population for the prison industrial complex and to, to further subdivide the population into warring groups. The intent of the drug war is to bring war home to America. Thank you so much for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting community radio.
4: Thank you, and thank you, listener, for calling in. One issue that we haven't had time to get into—we could do a whole uh, show on racism and the war on drugs—and that's a that's a whole um, another issue that we haven't gotten into. But fair enough to say that certainly a lot of what you've brought up is about money, about the bottom line.
2: The last caller uh, uh, comes to the point uh, exactly, uh, because the war on drugs is waged in a very skewed fashion. Um, and it's waged on minority populations disproportionately. And uh, if you you know Google the sentencing project and see uh, the rates uh, of incarceration by race and so forth, you wonder how this can be. Just one quick, uh, you know, more data. Um, In uh, the 1970s, under apartheid, you know, the most historically racist uh, of government policy in modern history, uh, South Africa incarcerated about 580 uh, black males per 100,000 of their population. The United States, by contrast, today incarcerates about eight thousand five hundred that's eight thousand five hundred instead of five hundred and eighty so uh... um, we're uh... incarcerating people uh, of color uh... about at a rate ten times higher than people of non-color uh... in uh, in america today we have more black males under correction supervision either incarcerated on probation parole so forth then we had slaves in America uh, in 1863. So the, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, the social consequences, consequences along race lines for this war on drugs. But it certainly disenfranchises a whole a group of the population. Now, who that's Group general vote is, of course, up uh, to discussion and so forth. But another consequence is uh, that uh, in uh, several states, four states, it's permanent. If you have a felony on your record, you lose your right to vote. And I think uh, 80% of the disenfranchised, felony, felony, disenfranchised uh, citizens live in either florida or virginia so you do with that information what you like but uh, if you look about felony disenfranchised uh uh voters uh it, it, that's an also a shocking uh bit of information mm. i but know that warren trust is trying in initially skewed way
4: I know when we had uh, James Garrick on the show, he told us about a book that goes very much in depth into this subject of racism and the war on drugs. And the book is called The New Jim Crow, for anybody who would be interested in investigating this further. Um, I want to uh, thank all of the people that called in today for supporting community radio. Um, We've been talking this morning on healthy options um, uh, with with Patrick Heinz, who uh, has been a, uh, a counselor in corrections for many, many years, and he works for LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And there is a website that you can go to very simple. Now, would you give that, give that website, Patrick?
2: It's uh L-E-A-P, dot com, dot
4: Okay, leap.com.cc. dot Okay, and there's a a wealth of information um, on that website. Um, We have a couple minutes left, and I guess what I would like to just have Have you comment on is a very basic thing. I think sometimes people feel that if they uh, even suggest to their friends and family and people they know about legalizing drugs, that in some way they are promoting the use of drugs. Uh, well, nothing can, can be you, far, far right. Far can true. Can you um maybe give an example of what someone could say to their neighbor or friend that would have that attitude?
2: First of all, I think it's important to point out that Leap is decidedly not pro drugs. We think uh, uh, substance abusing is a horrible choice in life, but people make horrible choices. Our concern is once people make horrible choices, how can we address that issue? in a way that doesn't destroy society? Uh, What is the most uh, uh, productive response to people's bad choices? Uh, Incarceration and prosecution certainly are not. So when someone advocates for the regulation of substance abusing, they need to understand that this government's own data says that The uh, uh, Addictive personality disorder population remains constant uh, throughout history since it's been studied. And they've studied it since 1914. And it's always, it's like, it's called a sociological standard deviation of a norm. For instance, 12% of the population are left-handed. That remains constant. People who suffer from addictive personality disorder, that remains constant. We want to address this issue so people can stop abusing drugs, all right? Anyway, now, incarceration doesn't stop people from using drugs. It, in fact, it has the opposite of the desired effect, and it, um, um, in, it embeds uh, substance abusing uh, and escapist uh, behavior.
4: So quite, quite simply, I think a lot of this is based on the model of punishment. Does punishment change behavior? I mean, statistically, what do we have as far as research-based Well, all you
2: evidence? have to do is take a quick look at the recidivism rates. And uh, it's like, uh, you know, uh, 70% of people, if you ask them, uh, think that uh, if a person goes to jail, they're more likely to commit another crime uh, in the future than if they hadn't gone to jail. So punishment, in fact, has the opposite effect, I think, for the, in the vast majority of people. Um, so punishment, you, you, you do not punish a health problem away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You have to treat it uh, psychologically, physically, uh, socially. Uh, and there's so many models out there of successful alternatives to incarceration for the health problem of substance abuse.
4: So What What other
2: health problems do we incarcerate people for? Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. So we're um, about ready to wrap the, the show up. We're very close to the top of the hour. And again, we've been speaking. This is Healthy Options. I'm Andre Bella, and we're on WERU. And thank you very much, Patrick, for being with us this morning. And thank you all of you callers and listeners. And stay well and be healthy.
0: Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news.